Welcome to the Conversions Podcast, where we discuss conversion rate optimization and the latest tips, technologies, and actionable strategies that you can actually use to get more of your website's visitors to take action. And now, your host, Francis Teo. Welcome to episode 17 of the Conversions Podcast. Before we get started, let's take a look at some iTunes reviews. We have a five-star review from CHR from Denmark, who says, Excellent podcast. This is a great podcast about CRO. I've learned valuable CRO tips from every episode so far. I appreciate the host, Theo, and his talented guests always have a practical view on things. So the tips get usable and not too theoretical and not too much insider talk or backpedaling as I see elsewhere. This is very much hands-on and that is great. Thanks and please keep them coming. Thanks for the kind thoughts. On the Convergence podcast, I'm trying to keep the content a bit more balanced. On some episodes, we will have something more theoretical and on some other episodes, we have like more practical knowledge. I think this gives a nice balance to the world of conversion rate optimization, which oftentimes is a blend of marketing, psychology, persuasion, and many other disciplines. Well, enough about that. On to today's show. Today we have with us Alex Harris. Alex is the president of alexdesigns.com, which specializes in conversion rate optimization, landing page optimization, and e-commerce web design. He has been practicing conversion rate optimization and designing conversion-focused landing pages since 2001. Alex is also the host of the Marketing Optimization video podcast, where he interviews new digital marketing experts weekly. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Yeah, I'm really excited to be on your show, Francis. I've listened to it forever. So can you tell us about how you got into conversion optimization? You know, conversion is just a passion. It's really a lifestyle of being a web designer. I'm 100% focused on web design, and I started doing that in the year 2000, where I started working at a popular diet and fitness website. And literally the first project that I was given was to create an HTML uh, email newsletter that sent traffic to a landing page. Now, this tra- this landing page was the beginning of a four or five step quiz process for this diet and fitness website. And what I really didn't know at the time was that four or five step quiz process was actually a conversion funnel. We were doing multivariate A/B testing in 2001 on this conversion funnel, which gave you know, people would put in their weight and it would get them, give them recommendations on which diet to take. Now, I didn't know that, that not many people were doing this at the time or doing A-B testing. It just seemed natural to me because my, the CEO of my company was a real innovator and he, we created this in-house conversion testing software. And it wasn't really until 2004 that I realized there's no one doing conversion testing. I mean, how do you figure out what is actually working or not? And so I started to really brand myself as a landing page and conversion-focused web designer. And then I went to a whole bunch of different conferences, and I met some of the top people in the industry, like Brian Eisenberg. And I was really able to connect with a lot of these people and see that there's actually other people in the industry who actually get that it's more than just making your website pretty. You have to continuously change your website design to get the best conversion rate. Wow, so you've been doing this for quite some time. Yeah, it's actually been over 10 years now. So this is totally not in the outline, but do you think conversion optimization has changed over the years? Like the technologies available, I don't think adoption is that widespread. Yeah, well, you know, especially because the, you know, overall, 
you know, large brands and the internet is definitely still, still run by big agencies. And big agencies have one goal, to make sure that the client is happy. And in particular, what Brian Eisenberg, who became my mentor of, uh, you know, originally uh, uh, the, the grok.com and his old agency, he showed me that it's more about just designing pretty websites. You really have to focus on the results. And big agencies that do branding aren't as focused on direct marketing. Now, it has become adopted a lot more lately in um, in the last couple of years because the numbers just haven't been there. But brands in particular, high-level brands, are so focused on ensuring that their design and communication through design is so important that they forget how to really focus on some of the smaller details of the conversion process. And so you see a lot of the, I wouldn't say younger, but you know, newer marketers or newer UX designers starting to really focus on testing and this iterative process to really figure out the best customer experience. Cause just because, you know, it looks good and it's, you know, visually great for an artist doesn't mean it's actually going to be usable for the individual customer. Great point. And I think that's slowly evolving even in the big agency space. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely have a lot of friends in big agencies who, who you know, I used to work with or were on my team. They moved into them and they actually have arguments in brand meetings that, oh, yes, this this is definitely beautiful and we're using these big, huge images, but is it going to load quick enough? Is it actually easy to understand? And do people actually know what the features are versus the benefits? Awesome. And the big question is what exactly you do want to do with this campaign? Yeah, absolutely. You want to get results. You know, the focus should be helping the client actually make more money while looking good. Awesome. Could you tell us your overall strategy and process you use for increasing conversions on websites? Absolutely. It's actually pretty simple, but it can be kind of difficult to implement. What I do is I try to create the ultimate map to get somebody for essentially advertising, pay-per-click advertising or social media, create the ultimate map to get them from that advertising to the finish line. So I go through and I figure out the top pages that are driving the most traffic or that the client is spending the most money on. I define those pages and I create the subtest to really tone in and segment the audience as much as I possibly can. And from those pages, I now create a hypothesis. I define who those target audiences are. I actually create individual avatars or personas for those individual people who will be clicking on those ads. And then we define what pages that they're going to, which individual landing pages, and then the step process to get them to the finish line. I do a lot of e-commerce testing, so it's kind of easier to follow that direction. So someone's clicking on an ad, they're arriving at a landing page. It could be an individual product page or a product listing type of page where they're narrowing down and filtering what type of product they actually want to buy. From that page, we're doing different testing elements, add to cart buttons, um, headlines to figure out if they should actually go directly to the shopping cart or they should actually go to the product detail page. And then on the shopping cart page, we then do um, more testing to, you know, add security, 
uh, seals and increase credibility, make people feel comfortable about purchasing, you know, make sure that they, they know how much the product is or the final price is going to be before they actually go to the cart. And then once they actually, uh, excuse me, the checkout, once they actually get to the checkout, then even optimizing that process to ensure they actually check out. So we're defining a defined click through map at every single point to really understand what the customer is doing to get them closer to each step every single time. And that's really the conversion process. We're doing multivariate and A-B testing in each of those different elements to get them closer every single time. Yeah, there's the, these little micro conversion goals that we focus on. The, the main goal you know, that we start with is definitely conversion. And then the other KPI right after that is the average customer order per sale. So they might have to add a whole bunch of different items to the cart and then actually check out. And we test different variations of that. But we want to essentially drive the most revenue possible per visit. Which is the end goal to get more revenue. Yeah, we are optimizing for revenue. Absolutely. Conversions is the, you know, essentially the metric, but we are optimizing for revenue. So um, when we do conversion optimization in terms of micro conversions at our agency, we always have this issue of the micro conversions and the macro conversions. So the issue is sometimes a lot where we can get a smaller, we see a, in the end result, we get a smaller micro conversion, for example, checkouts but the overall revenue is higher. Do you see the kind of strange phenomenon happening? Absolutely. What we definitely take into account is the amount of time that it takes somebody to order. So we are optimizing from someone who's actually coming from pay-per-click. So we work with our client to figure out what their CPA is. And we work, we have an analyst who we bring in and they define what the CPA is for a certain type of product that they're selling. And they take into account how much money that they're spending on advertising. So if we're able to get that person from a pay-per-click ad to sale a lot quicker, we can then turn over more orders. So you know, sometimes the products range in, in a lot, very big prices. You know, somebody could be selling a $100 product versus, you know, a $5 product. And if more people are buying the, the $5 product, it's never going to reach the total amount that, you know, three or four people, you know, buy the $100 product. So we really try to, you know, nail down and segment the traffic as much as we possibly can to get a clear A, B, A to A type of comparison so it, it, it's apples to apples sounds like a really comprehensive approach and a lot of work oh it is uh, well you know none of this stuff is is easy as you know with testing it never ends because as a web designer you can design the best page possible and then it loses and you're like like you're oh it's like a gut check oh my heart i i feel heartless i'm like that that is that page is so much better designed. It has a clear focal point. The headline is so much clearer, and it lost. So there's a, there's got to be a reason of why it lost, and that is the perfect opportunity to start doing usability testing, watching other people use those pages, because there's always a clear uh, reason of why someone didn't interact with that that better designed page. And unless unless you watch other people actually go through that process then you don't know what the, those problems were. Oh, so much good stuff here. So I'd like to backtrack a bit and ask you about this person persona-based approach. I don't think anyone else has mentioned this on this podcast yet. 
So could you tell us a bit of about what it is and how many personas do you generally generate per funnel? Yeah, I actually have a special person that I hire particularly for this because, you know, me being a web designer and especially working on my the clients, because I, obviously I work on them for a long time because this stuff takes a long time. I hire someone to develop personas, particularly for a certain client. And they define, you know, usually about three different personas per type of test that we create. And we're essentially defining the target audience and finding ways to take ourselves outside of the business and really put ourselves in the same shoes as the customer. Because, you know, if I'm setting up, you know, in, in the dieting case, you know, I'm, I may not be the actual target audience for someone who needs to lose 75, 150 pounds, you know, in that case. So we define specific avatars, demographics, and the mindset of that individual customer who is actually clicking on that ad. Because all we're doing in conversion testing is trying to figure out the quickest way to solve people's problems. Someone literally is typing into Google, I want to lose 30 pounds for my son's wedding. And when they arrive at a landing page or a product page, we literally needed to solve that individual problem for the query that they just searched for. So we need to make sure that the page is relevant. There's some type of value that we're providing. We're giving them something immediately in return to actually complete the landing page and then ensuring that the the hierarchy and the visual composition of the, the landing page or the product page is clear enough so they know where to take call to action. Because especially in pay-per-click advertising, you know, people are, you know, they don't have the time to really figure out if they're in the right place or not. They arrive at the landing page, they quickly scan it, they do the natural S type of format. And if the headline doesn't have a clear, unique value proposition that mixes with the photo that gives them that visual hierarchy to look at the call to action, which the call to action, the button literally is the focal point, then the personas that we're marketing for, they don't know what to do and they don't know how to actually take action to move forward. Wow, that's a lot of information. And I think it's it's kind of interesting because you have like the persona-based approach and you you talk about usability testing, you talk about the headline and value proposition, and then you talk about visual hierarchy. So it's it's like some mad fusion of persuasion skills, testing skills, usability skills, and I don't know what else. Interesting. Yeah, you know, it, it's become really the most important thing for sure. Because, you know, as I said, my mentor, you know, Brian Eisberg, he installed me this at the very beginning because he's literally the one who created the term persuasion architecture. You know, you know, social science and psychology, you know, I didn't realize how important some of these things are, especially, you know, e-commerce or actually selling on the web. Because majority of time when people arrive at a product page or a landing page, they don't, people don't even know that they need to actually buy something. And there's some type of emotional trigger that you need to persuade them to figure out how to get them to actually buy. I see, I see. That's interesting. I think I've read some of Brian's work and I know you're probably not going to comment for him, but he believes that the the usability of the site is more important. He has a little pyramid thing that comes before persuasion, something like that. Yeah, um, I believe that concept is called the hierarchy of optimization. I find that that model very interesting. Yeah, because at the very top of the pyramid, if I can remember this correctly, 
is the persuasive aspect. And underneath that, I know the next one is intuitive. You know, it it has to be persuasive. It has to be intuitive. I know at the bottom is functional, and I'm not sure what's in between the, the, the two other parts, but it needs to be intuitive. It needs to be usable. It needs to be functional and accessible. That's the other one. So, you know, if you imagine your funnel, you know, getting someone from pay-per-click advertising to checkout process, that is your funnel. And the high part of the funnel is the landing page. You know, you're basically marketing to almost anybody. And as you drill them down closer to the finish line, you're now making them, you have to continuously be even more persuasive. You have to show empathy. You have to show relevance. You have to show clarity and make it very almost personal. It almost feels like the experience was made for them. Here is this perfect diet for you Now, I want you to take action because you are going to lose the weight before your son's wedding. So the more personal and the more segmented, then you can define, you know, you can continuously talking back to that individual persona and be solving their problem because those are what the key differentiators are that's going to make you different than your competitors because majority of you know other diet sites or whatever they may be marketing to everybody or they may be marketing to men and you know men have a lot different problems than than women you know men usually have you know just go and work out where losing weight for women is more of an emotional type of things so if you're able to define those emotional problems that that persona has then you know what those triggers are and you're able to solve their problem and it feels really personal for them and they feel comfortable by giving you your money. That is a very interesting point you brought up about this whole gender differences. I never try to optimize a female-based kind of website alone. I usually have a female analyst take a look at it. Because there is that that difference in perspective. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, uh, you know, even in, in the last couple of years, if you're in B2B space, you know, you're still you know, marketing to human to humans, you know, people are selling their product, but in B2B, even in B2C, people want to buy stuff from real people. And if they don't feel comfortable and they think you're just some dude in a a garage trying to steal your money with these scammy diets or whatever, they're not going to feel comfortable about putting their credit card in. And, you know, even as the internet has evolved, it has become a lot more difficult to actually sell stuff online. So if you're not transparent with your company or having some type of credibility and being an authority in the space, like we started to test a lot of different things on our last checkout page where it it literally showed the CEO and had a guarantee to make them feel comfortable about putting their credit card in so people didn't feel like they were being scammed. Yeah, that kind of testing is really important, especially in the final critical checkout page. So well, going back to a bit more high level, are there some top tips do you have like top three tips uh for conversion problems you see on websites and i believe you work mostly on e-commerce shops what would be your top three well the top tip you know definitely the number one thing is to define the customer you need to be able to take yourself outside the business and really define those personas you know that's something that we always do no matter what and using those personas is really where you create the hypothesis you want to have some type of theory that you think before you go into an actual test. Because if you're able to really define the end goal, the, the KPI, and the overall outcome in the hypothesis, then you can know where you're going to get. Because if the map doesn't work out, there's a reason why 
it was actually broken. And number two, you know, as we're able to define the, these personas and learn more about the e-commerce client, it's all about surveying the customers or talking to customers or using usability testing. And the third point to that is the feedback loop. How quickly you can iterate is how fast you're actually going to improve your conversion. If you're able to take your te- your your winning test or your losing tests and apply those same wins or losses to other areas of the site, you're going to continuously grow your metrics because the faster that you can implement that feedback or those those problems, then you can actually move your conversion a lot faster. Because as I said, in my map, we're trying to get them to feel more comfortable by moving from one step to the next. And if we're testing stuff during the holidays or even into, you know, in the state's Valentine's Day, you know, if we're testing stuff during that seasonality, it might be a lot different than we're testing stuff during the summer. So if, if a test runs for, you know, six weeks, it's a lot different than a test running for, you know, 12 weeks. So that feedback loop is really one of the most important aspects, being able to iterate really, really fast and, you know, really change stuff, especially in landing pages and, you know, a landing page testing, it's so easy to get a lot of data really, really quickly. And if you're not able to make a lot of those changes, then those micro conversions really don't mean a lot. So how long do you usually try to run a test for? Well, it definitely depends on the amount of traffic. In the old days, it only used to be about two weeks. Now it's probably an average around six weeks. Yeah, that's that's a good number to work with. Do you find any issues of running like longer tests? Six weeks is fairly long. Well, it's, it has been a lot harder to get to significant. You know, you, you'll, you'll see the numbers come in and in Optimizely or Visual Website Optimizer, they just don't make it to significance. And as you get farther down the funnel, if there's not as many conversions for a particular e-commerce site, then it's hard to, you know, get the amount of conversions that you need to do shopping cart or checkout testing. Okay, I'm going to like digress a bit and it just is so weird because like the problems you're bringing up is the problems that I face like every other day and it's like wow I, I have that problem too that kind of thing every time you bring it up it's so weird well it's the internet has changed so much and it really does change all the time because now you're influenced by by social media and uh, you know pay-per-click advertising people are a lot spending a lot more money than they used to be you know so in e-commerce it does become a lot more difficult to do conversion testing as you get farther down the funnel. But what I found is if you're able to really segment your audience to the individual persona as much as you possibly can, then you're able to, you know, at least learn as much as you possibly can, even if you don't meet the significance number. Because if someone's coming through a path and you know the majority of the time people are usually going to pick you know, your top 20% products and majority of people are going to buy those, then base it off the average amount of revenue that you're making per test. So if, if one, if you segment it out well enough and one side of the test has a lot more revenue, then you know you could end the test before it actually hits significance and know that you're going to make more money from that that path. Personas are a really important part of your process. So I got an interesting question. How do you just run one single split test for all your combined personas, or do you say like you know traffic from AdWords and traffic from organic search and traffic from social? You split them up into three sort of buckets based on that persona segment because. Obviously, you cannot split the test based on like demographic data. Do you do that, or do you just run it, run like one big test? Well, the, the 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 one big test that we do run lumps everybody essentially from direct traffic, organ or 
organic search because you can't really segment those out. But the ones that you can control are definitely pay-per-click or Facebook advertising or Twitter advertising, which we've been trying lately, or social media. The more that we can define where they came from, we, we can kind of create hypotheses for different types of audiences. We know that social media traffic is going to be a lot different than organic traffic. And pay-per-click traffic is going to be a lot more different than those. So we definitely segment out those different methods of, of bringing in traffic. Do you run the same test for each of these segments or different tests? It's different for each different client, but we try to make every single of, of those landing pages, the first page they hit, as relevant as possible to what they came from. So we know that the big test, the essentially the organic search test, it may have more copy on it than a pay-per-click type of test. But, you know, the, the main goal of our landing page is to get people to actually click to the next page because we know, you know, it's the internet. People actually want to do stuff when they arrive at a page. Having the right elements above the fold are definitely very important, but people do want to scroll down too. So we make sure that at the fold line, either, you know, between 700 and 600, that there's a nice image uh, at that active window line. So if, if there is more information on that landing page, we ensure that there's there's a visual element that people know that they, they want to scroll down. So we, we set up different tests based on what we where we know people are actually coming from. So I, I, I guess the, it's definitely a different test for sure, but the creative elements on it are different by where they came from. So we try to make it as relevant as possible for, by, by where they came from. And social media has become a whole new thing. We, we're trying completely different testing based on Facebook. Because in, in Facebook, we now run these unpublished posts where they go into the newsfeed and, and people can actually click on the individual photo and they, are, they can go directly to a landing page and we'll set up exactly relevant photo from where the photo that they came from. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that, this big newsfeed kind of ads. Yeah, I think people are trying to do as much Facebook advertising as possible before it starts to get a lot more expensive. Or before Facebook actually pulls the product because they're always changing the ad products. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I know, and it's even a di different experience between mobile and desktop. We uh, we segment those out differently, especially on Facebook. We run different landing pages on mobile versus desktop. Right, that makes a lot of sense because the experience on a mobile device is totally different from experience on a desktop device. Yeah, we 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 know that someone's specifically coming from mobile, so obviously we create we we ensure that it's a responsive page. But one of the biggest things, especially in e-commerce, is that we make the phone number actually HTML. The phone number is never an image. So when people arrive on their phone on mobile, they can actually click the phone number and actually make a call. It will literally drive your phone calls up 50, 75%. Nice, nice. That makes a lot of sense as well because people don't really want to be, they don't usually purchase all that much on the phone compared to a tablet or desktop device. Yeah, and I think one of the, the, the differentiators that people have to think about, and you know, everybody who shops online does this, you find something on the internet and you really want to make that purchase and then you go to Amazon to, to buy it. So if you can find ways to avoid people from doing that by making a call offering some type of incentive. Amazon is awesome and I do it myself, but you want to find ways to avoid that so you can get the conversion yourself. 
So I saw on your website somewhere that you did some testing in the NetSuite platform. Is that right? Yeah, uh, NetSuite is um, one of the oldest e-commerce platforms that I've been doing work on. I've been doing it since basically they started. And it is a really great accounting and CRM and e-commerce platform, but it can be somewhat difficult to actually program. And unless you have experience in the NetSuite world, there's not many programmers who do it. So it's about 50% of my jobs that come in for for requests for proposals are NetSuite. So we do a lot of e-commerce testing on NetSuite solutions. Do you have any tips for NetSuite site owners? Hire me. That is the number one tip. Okay. You know, NetSuite is a unique individual. It's such a big platform and it is an enterprise solution. So it can take them a little bit to make changes. So, you know, they're, you know, they have moved to a a responsive solution, but a lot of the original people on NetSuite haven't gotten there yet. So it's taken a a long time to get for them to get up to speed on the internet. But as far as, you know, NetSuite in general, the the main thing that you want to do is it's just like any website. You want to design for conversion. People create NetSuite site, they forget about the basics. They forget about SEO. They forget about, you know, using security seals. They set up their product pages with just the default templates. And this could be for for any e-commerce site. It's not particular to NetSuite. You know, Gento, uh, BigCommerce, uh, I'm not sure about Shopify, but you want to make sure that those product detail pages, when you actually arrive at the product, that you test those because you can usually move the elements around because on some sites, the product image looks or works better on the right. And some e-commerce sites, the product image looks better on, uh, works better on the left. You know, sometimes having a left navigation works, sometimes it doesn't, but you want to, you know, ensure that you continue to iterate. Once you set up the website, that's only the beginning of the conversion process. You want to ensure that you continue to change things to really figure out the best conversion map for your individual store. Cool. Do you have a name for this conversion map you keep bringing up? We call it the ideal click-through experience because we know, know that people aren't buying on every page, but you know we're defining the ideal click-through experience on every page to ensure that they get to the end goal as fast as possible. So you've been testing for like forever? Yeah, I, I was actually p- putting together a bio for uh, another site the other day, and I was trying to figure out how many tests I've done, and I've definitely done over 5,000 tests. Guaranteed. Oh, that's a lot of tests. Yeah. Uh, I was actually interviewing um, one of the owners from Unbounce, and I saw that he 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 knew exactly how many landing page tests he had. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have to be close. I, I know that I've done so thousands of, uh, of landing page tests. I know that I'm definitely close. Maybe I'm not as close to the Unbounce, but I know I'm close. 5,000, that's a lot. I don't think I'll ever get to this number like in the next decade or so because I usually run like full funnel tests. So just the number of traffic that's, uh, that goes to the, the end of the funnel is like very small. So maybe every test takes like six weeks, sometimes even sometimes even longer. So that's fine. That's fine. Different It's a different approach. Well, you know, it's... It, a funny story because anybody who's literally every work, ever worked with me, especially when I was working at the dot com, and I worked there for eleven years, and I, as I said, the first job I w- had was to start testing. And my CEO was a little ADD, and he would come to me every single day with a new test. And so we were testing like crazy, and I had this book that I created of all the tests we ever ran. And you know, every year I would create a new book, and I had. 11 books by the time I was done. 
And anytime we hired somebody new, because you know you get these these uh, chief marketing officers come in and they say, let's change the whole entire funnel. And I would go back to the book and say, look, we tested this, we tested that. If you want to do it, we can certainly do it, but we are not going to kill our, our funnel because we've already went through this whole entire process. So I've dealt with all those corporate issues. <laughs> Very nice. So all of all these tests you have done, do you have like a couple of interesting case studies that you'd like to bring up? Oh, individual case studies. Um, well, you know, it's hard to, you know, give some, some clear ones, but, you know, in the last, you know, couple of years, we've definitely done a lot of, you know, WordPress testing. So, you know, t- talking about one that a lot of people talk about is the, is the sliding scroller on the homepage, and, you know, and that's been kind of controversial. And I've seen it worked well on, on some sites, but majority of the time it doesn't work well. And I think what we really have found is that the sliding, uh, the slideshow on the homepage, the way it can actually work is that if the messages on all of the slides are very similar, because when you're, you know, people are arriving at your homepage and, you know, they only have two to five seconds to actually figure out what you do. And if that sliding scroller doesn't consistently show your unique, unique value proposition, then people are going to get confused and not sure what to do. So, the, the, the best practice of the sliding scroller is to, number one, make sure that the button on the scroller is in the same place every single time. And that button has the same call to action on every single one. You can't, the, the, the first slide can't show a different offer than the second slide and then the third slide. So, you know, having a consistency between that slideshow is, is, is definitely the best practice of that. You know, next, I, I do a lot of product page testing. And my number one tip on, on creating a product page, especially if you have a customer service center, is putting a call to action underneath the add to cart button that's related to your phone number. So if someone arrives at, let's say, an electronics or, you know, cell phone site or, you know, a B2B, you know, enterprise weird manufacturing site, have a call to action that says, speak with a specialist, call 1888, whatever. Having that right there will double the amount of phone calls that you receive. You know, that's probably my number one tip that people don't necessarily do on uh, product page pages. And then I guess, you know, another tip, you know, could be an obvious one, but a lot of people don't do it. On the shopping cart page is having like a shop with confidence box that includes like some security seals, but also listing out the benefits of why they should actually be buying the product. When someone actually buys a, you know, arrives at the shopping cart page, obviously they want to know what the total is. They want to know what shipping is. But we've tested that shop with confidence box a zillion times, and it always pushes more people to the actual checkout by, I would say, you know, at least 25%. And then once you have that shopping, uh, shop with confidence box, you can test different bullets in there. You know, what your free, what your shipping offer is, how quickly they will actually get delivered that individual product, what security seals that, you know, that it's a hundred percent SSL, you know, secure payment processing, you know, showing what credit card you offers offers. But having that shop with confidence box will definitely increase your conversions by, you know, 10 to 25%. So that's more of an anxiety reducer. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of web designers just make way too many assumptions. They assume 
that the customer is going to know that they need that people know that they need to check out. But you literally people want to be told what to do when you arrive at a shopping cart page. Tell people what the next step is. You're going to click on uh, check out, and then you are going to be able to you know finalize your product details. So don't make assumptions of what you think people are going to be do. Literally, I think of it as baby steps. Telling people at the most in the most literal way what they're going to be doing on the next page. So it's like slowly guiding them towards the the final decision you want them to make. Yeah, defining that ideal click path. Don't assume that you know what people are going to be doing on the next page. You're defining the ideal click path. So to, to define that, you're get you're getting that you're telling them what they're going to be doing on the next page. You've brought up this security seal a couple of times, and do they always work? Security, you know, the guarantee kind of seals that you see on a lot of sites? Yes, they definitely always work, but they don't always work with the same seals on the same different site. I have a, a health and supplement type of e-commerce site, and their best security seal is doctor trusted. And then on some of my other electronics or gadget type of sites, the McAfee uh, seal works. And then on other sites, we totally removed the paid type of seals and we just created our own seal and that actually worked even better on some of the others. So it's all different on all different sites, but you definitely want to have a clear lock that shows that people should be comfortable about putting their credit card in. So I have an interesting test that I might have brought up on this podcast before, but it's just like so interesting and counterintuitive. I always test the seals because I feel that that... that uh, reduces anxiety but I have the re- had a recent test no matter what I did like nothing worked and finally I thought like you know what let's just try removing all the seals because we were testing adding the seals so it's like let's test without the seals and just having a stronger value proposition and it converts better I was like very surprised so I'm still figuring out figuring out what what happened was one of the seals did it have a clear picture of a lock on it yes okay hmm. Interesting. Strange. Maybe it's just like overdoing it. I don't know. It's it's a case for always be testing anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not surprised by any test anymore because I've seen you know many of them where I, I was almost absolutely sure in my hypothesis that it was going to work and it didn't. And I tested it three or four different times in different ways and it still didn't work. So I'm I'm never surprised. That's because you're a really seasoned tester. Sometimes I'll just take a look at such like sort of strange situations and and look at that and like. Okay, what happened there? Because it's it's really odd. Yeah, you know, sometimes you know, in the best thing, you know, when you are testing as much as as I do or my team does, sometimes it's be- it's almost good to take a break, you know, and just have stop testing for a little bit, and then kind of redo your hypothesis and almost start over, or get you know some outside consulting on people who are because you do get tunnel vision by looking at the same test over and over. Um, so getting some other opinions is, uh, is always a good idea as well. That's an excellent tip, actually. That's what I do. And it's really been helpful. So just to wrap up, if you have just one big takeaway from this entire episode for improving conversions, what would that be? You know, I think my biggest tip is to really humanize your experience. I mean, you know, what I've seen as the internet has grown is that, you know, stock photography, if it's done in the right way, you can still... It still does work, but the more that you can really humanize the experience and make it personal to them, I think is, is the biggest differentiator that, you know, could put you over the top. I was actually talking with a company, uh, just this week 
And, you know, they had a landing page process they went through and, you know, they were using, you know, good stock photography, but I was like, you guys have so much great testimonials on your site. Just you call out, you know, give some, some of your best customers some discounts and get pictures of them or videos of them and make your customers tell the story because people are going to want to buy from other people that they feel comfortable with and humanizing that experience and making it feel like it's personalized to them is really what is going to be your differentiator. That's an awesome tip and everyone should just go out there and try to humanize their websites more. Yeah, you know, um, last year was a really exciting year. Um, it was my first full year that I worked from home at, in my own web design company. I stopped working at the dot com in the middle of, uh, 2012 and it was my first full year. So, you know, I really wanted to figure out the best way to reach more people because I love helping websites, you know, get results. But how can I do that more? Obviously, I had to build a team. So that was really my focus uh, last year. And now this year, we're really focusing on putting systems in place to really find ways to help more websites get better conversions. And in order to get my voice out there, I decided to create a podcast. I actually tried to do this many years ago, but I just wasn't committed. And I'm really excited that, that, that I put together the marketing optimization podcast because I love learning from, you know, people like you, Francis, who's going to be on the show and, you know, many other experts in the space because there's only so much that I can learn or read from books. But when I can really connect with like-minded people and ask them questions about, you know, problems I'm having or really figure out, that's what my podcast is all about is really trying to find ways that I can learn from other people and then get my message out there to help other people as well. So you can check that out at the Marketing Optimization Podcast. I love that podcast and I wish I had time to watch more episodes because it's a video podcast, so I don't, I, I can't just like take it and, and go for a run or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, um, but I try to watch uh, as many episodes as I have time for. It's, it's awesome, awesome podcast. Thank you so much. So where can people find out more about you and get in touch with you? Your podcast is at marketingoptimization.tv, is that right? Yeah, that is the, the, the podcast website. But the majority of stuff that I do is on my main website, which is alexdesigns.com. And you can check me out there. You can contact me there. And, uh, you know, I love to connect with you. I love talking to other, you know, like-minded people who, do, who are in the conversion space and kind of think differently like we do. So I love to connect with uh, you guys. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge on this podcast and we'll talk again soon. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Conversions Podcast. Please leave us a review and rating on iTunes if you enjoy our podcast. We love hearing from you. Connect with us at our website, conversionspodcast.com and let us know what you think. 